Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Story time. Hello, Den of Misfits. I encountered something strange on my job. I work on an oil rig. My job is to run an excavator and mix off the mud that comes out of the ground, and do stuff that needs big machine. Because of the locations of these rigs I have to drive to pretty remote places in the wilderness of Canada. Anyhow, one of the light towers at the edge of the lease went out. I went over and in the forest I could see these weird like fireflies type of things, but like the size of a basketball. But they- Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. They weren't bright, like they weren't lighting things up around them. Then I started feeling super uneasy. Then in between some trees, I could see this big-ass silhouette of a person with red glowing eyes. I ran back into the machine just to see it walking away. When I was in it I ended up telling the crew. I'm not the only one who's seen it. Like half of them have seen it and two of them have had it smile at them WTF is this thing? Also I'm so sorry for the punctuation. I was squirrel hunting on public hunting property in northwest Indiana, DNR, about an hour from my house. It is my habit to start my hunting early in the morning. I had never felt any pressure while hunting in this area or since the incident. So I thought nothing of hunting this day. It was fairly quiet except for the twittering of the occasional bird while I'd been there. It was after 11 AM when I decided to take a little break and have a snack from my pack. So I took a seat along the trail. As I sat there, a voice came into my thoughts that said, behind you. You preach to listen to your inner voice and trust it. I did. I turned around to look behind me. As soon as I got turned around I saw an enormous being about 9 feet tall and 1,000 pounds with long flowing reddish brown hair all over his body that resembled an orangutan in color. I only saw it for one or two seconds because that is how long it took for it to stride across the trail opening. I got the impression that it didn't know or didn't care that I was there since it didn't look my way. I was about 120 yards away just sitting on the side of the trail. I suddenly wanted to get the hell out of there realizing that I was no longer the apex predator in those woods. The 22 semi-auto rifle I had would have done nothing more than piss off the creature and offered no more protection than a sharp pointy stick. I head back to my car looking over my shoulder the entire time wondering if I was going to end up as a statistic. But I was not going to let this thing destroy my love for the woods. It took me a while but I did make it back to those same woods. I now say at the very beginning of my hunts that I am only there to harvest a few squirrels and to enjoy the woods. I'm not there looking for them. I ask that they not scare me while I'm there. So far that has been working. Does this offer credence to mind speak? I don't know. Did the Sasquatch let me know it was there, wanting me to see it? I don't know but that is what I am leaning toward. I was just an average hiker, out for a day hike in the national park. I had heard the legends of the Wendigo, but I never thought I would come face to face with one. It all happened so fast. One moment I was admiring the beauty of the woods, and the next, I was being tackled by a creature unlike any I had ever seen before. It was tall and thin, with matted fur and glowing eyes. It had elongated fingers that ended in sharp claws. Its mouth was wide and gaping, revealing razor-sharp teeth. The creature dragged me deeper into the woods, away from the trail. I struggled and fought, but it was no use. It was too strong. It pinned me to the ground and began to feast on my flesh. 
I remember thinking that this was it, this was the end. And then everything went black. When I woke up, I was in the ranger station. Park Ranger Harold was sitting next to me. He was the one who had found my body and brought me back to civilization. You're lucky to be alive, he said. I found you just in time. But I'm afraid the creature got away. I felt a surge of fear and anger. How could this have happened? How could a creature like that be roaming free in the national park? Harold must have sensed my emotions, because he quickly added, don't worry, we'll take care of it. I've already reported the incident to my supervisor, and he's sending out a team to track and capture the creature. But as it turns out, the supervisor had different plans. He didn't want to call the police because he feared that if the public found out about the creature, the national park would be closed down. So instead, he tasked Harold with finding and killing the creature himself. Harold was reluctant to accept the mission. But he knew he had no choice. He was the only one with experience tracking the creature, and he couldn't let anyone else get hurt. So, he went into the woods, armed with only a rifle and a determination to take down the monster. It was a cold and dark night when Harold finally caught sight of the creature. He raised his rifle, took aim, and fired. But the creature was fast and agile. It dodged the bullet and tackled Harold. The next morning, another ranger went to investigate and only found Harold's radio dispatcher. They searched for him, but they never found his body. It's been days since Harold went missing and the creature still roams free. I can't help but think that I was the one who brought this curse upon us all. If I had only stayed on the trail, if I had only ignored the legends, Harold would still be alive. But now it's too late. The creature is out there, and it's hungry. I can only hope that the next person who crosses its path is luckier than I was. When I was younger I used to go to a place called Desolation Wilderness near Camino, California. It was the perfect place for camping and fishing realizing that it had been a few years since my last trip. I talked to a friend of mine to go camping and fishing. We managed to talk another friend into coming with us and then we were off. We arrived around 1pm and decided to hike upstream from a place called Wright's Lake and then when we found a good spot we would set up camp. After walking for a couple hours a ranger found us hiking and told us that we actually weren't even technically in desolation wilderness yet and that we needed to keep hiking for a bit longer. I started tearing down the camp but I guess the other two guys were not as enthusiastic about the trip as I was. They left for Placerville to find a hotel room. When they left I hiked up a bit farther but I started to worry about the amount of time I had to find a place and set up my camp before dark. As I hiked I tried to remember the ranger's instructions but I ended up getting lost. Finally, I found a granite cliff with a stream that had a beautiful pool of water and was right on the tree line. I thought it was perfect so I set up camp and started fishing. When the sun had set and the sky was dark I decided to go to sleep. Cozy in my sleeping bag I started to drift off but then I heard something growl outside my tent. I grabbed the .45 compact handgun from its case and looked down through the screen on the front of the tent. From where I was standing I could only see a dark figure that looked around four and a half feet tall standing near the trees. Thinking that it was a bear I started yelling hoping that I would scare it away. 
It didn't move. I then fired a shot at a dead tree nearby. That startled it and it ran back into the forest. But to my surprise, it didn't go very far. I climbed back into my tent. Then I heard crashing sounds. It was the sound of rocks falling off the cliff and hitting the pool below and the rocks around it. This was unnerving. I climbed out of my tent a few times but I couldn't see anything even though the moon was bright and the white granite rocks reflected its paleness. Crashing rocks hit every few minutes until around 2 in the morning. Then it stopped. But I heard something rustling just outside my tent. I yelled at it and tried to scare it off. But instead of scaring it I heard a very deep growling sound in return. At this point, I didn't want to wait until it got too close. So I got out of my tent and looked around. Nothing. I decided to shoot the tree again to see if the creature would react then run back into the forest again just like the first time. But it stopped again. As I listened to the sounds of his moving I realized that it was running on two feet. This was not a bear. I didn't want to go back into my tent. I grabbed my sleeping bag and moved over to the middle of the big slab of white granite nearby. I felt safer and knew the forest was further away from me. But I could still hear the noises of rocks crashing. I prayed the sun would come up soon. At about 4.30 in the morning, I was awoken from my light sleep. I looked back at the trees but didn't see anything. So I looked back over at my tent. There it was standing at the side of my tent. I panicked and picked up my gun and shot the side of the creature but it didn't flinch. Then, with giant steps, it walked toward me. I shot at it. I wasn't sure if a .45 would even stop such a beast. But it was my only hope. After the second shot rang out it was off into the trees. Shaking like a leaf I sat down clutching my gun. I waited for hours until the light started to appear in the sky. I broke camp and headed back down to Wright's Lake. That was the last time I saw the creature. That was also the last time I went to the desolation wilderness and I will never go back. I live in apartments with a cemetery right behind them so it's not uncommon to have experiences like this. However, I'm not sure if this is a spirit or a cryptid or if these experiences are connected. A few nights ago me and my friend were walking back from the store 10.30 pm. We both heard a little girl screaming stuff such as mommy help and saw a man chasing something into the woods. We called the police but they didn't help just looked around a bit and told us to call back if we hear or see anything. Me and my friend decided to search ourselves as we kept hearing the cries in the woods. After a while we went to the spot we were when we first heard it. We heard it again coming from the trails. We looked stupid idea I know, and saw what looked like a tall skinny person crouched down. Its skin was gray and looked like it was stretched across the bones. It looked up but I couldn't see much because our lights weren't bright enough. I heard a cracking sound and smelled the clay you can find by digging. Once I heard the noise the rain got really heavy and the wind almost knocked me over I'm on the heavier side so that wouldn't be easy. Ever since seeing it we have both been really tired almost like the energy was suddenly sucked out of us. We both felt sick and ran but earlier at around 6pm it gets dark at 5pm here, I was walking back from the same store. As I was walking past the spot we saw it I heard my best friend. 
He lives two hours away so I was kind of shocked at first. He was yelling for me to wait for him. I saw him standing there but it wasn't exactly him. He has glasses but this thing didn't. It was thinner and shorter than him also had brown eyes when his are grayish blue. The friend I was walking with mentioned meeting me before I actually met him. He told me I walked up to him and told him he shouldn't be walking around by himself because of creeps in the apartments. He gave me a description of it and it looked like me expected had an ankle monitor on, had scars I don't have but didn't have the ones I do, made him stay on the left side of it, and that it was trying to get him to follow it to a clearing behind the basketball court which I don't go to because I had a traumatic experience there. He also mentioned it has asked for the boy who caused the traumatic experience and got angry when he told it he didn't know where the boy was the boy who caused it hasn't lived in the apartment since 2017. This incident occurred in Memphis, Tennessee. I started my career as a Memphis police officer a few years previously in the 1980s. I was on a special assignment at the time. It was 2 a.m. and it was a clear summer night but quite humid. I was in my personal vehicle with the top down and the radio playing. I was still in my uniform including my bulletproof vest and a gun belt with all the regular equipment attached to it. I was heading south on Covington Pike at a good rate of speed and was the only one on the road. This part of the road connects the Raleigh-Bartlett area to the Berclair area. The road is slightly elevated as the surrounding area is low and running through it is the Wolf River which is a few miles from here and connects to the Mississippi River. This area is commonly referred to by the locals as the Wolf River Bottoms these days. As I was driving, in my peripheral vision over to my right just outside my headlight beams, I noticed something was moving fast directly toward the front of my car. I immediately slammed on the brakes thinking that a deer was running across the road. But, I couldn't have been more wrong. It came to a screeching halt right in the middle of the road right in front of my headlights, not more than seven feet from my bumper. As we both froze in place staring at each other for several seconds. It appeared to be three to four feet tall but was also crouched. It could have been closer to five if it stood straight up, but I got the impression that its current body posture was its normal way of standing. It had a large head, at least compared to its skinny slender body. It appeared to be dark gray and greenish in color, similar to the color of an alligator but the appearance of its skin looked like a similar texture to a human's. It had dark large oval eyes on each side of the upper part of its face running slanted from the top portion of its head to about the midsection of its head. It was kind of pointing inward to where you would expect a nose to be. However, from what I could tell, there was no distinct nose. At least none like a human. Below the eyes was a very thin dark almost black line which I assumed was its mouth. It ran from about the same location a human's mouth would be, however, the line ran straight across the lower face in front and then turned upward and slightly back on the head. It had no ears that could see. Its body and chest area were rounded like a human but vastly smaller, almost like a child's. Its arms appeared to be longer and somewhat disproportionate to its body and they were skinny and had an insect-type look to them. I could make out hands but they were also completely folded at the wrist joint. The legs were long because, even with this thing's shortness, 
I could make out the top of them even with it so close to the bumper which was obscuring the bottom half somewhat. They were like the arms, thin and insect-like, but appeared to be jointed. I did notice its chest area moving slightly like it was breathing but it seemed slow and steady. I never noticed anything like genitalia. There was no hair any place that I could see and I'm not even sure if it was wearing any type of clothing. If it was it would have had to be skin tight. I never noticed a tail at any point. My adrenaline was pumping and it was only a brief period of observation. It again took off like a shot and it was out of my headlights. I could still make out its outline in the darkness and it was moving like a sprinter. It leapt over the guardrail onto the other side of the road and down the embankment. I will admit that this was not the only bizarre incident that I had during my career but it definitely was the strangest. I never told anyone on the force about the encounter. In fact, I only mentioned it to a close friend during these many years. I can only identify it as a lizard man or an unknown humanoid. I would have never believed it unless I actually witnessed it. My father and I had just left the La Borbuja grocery store and were crossing 32nd to go toward my car when we heard what sounded like a baby crying out. We thought it was maybe one of the neighbor's babies but then my father said Mira Mija and was pointing toward the house across the street. I looked and saw a thin black figure perched on the brick fence post and looking directly at us. This thing was dark, dark black it actually looked like it was absorbing the light around it. It was very easy to make out the body, the wings, and the long pointed tail that it swished around much like a cat does when it is interested in something. The eyes were the most striking feature as they were glowing bright red and were locked directly on my father and me. I was frozen in fear and the only thing going through my mind was how to defend my elderly father if this thing decided to attack us. I could care less about myself but my father is 70 years old and not able to move or defend himself if he was attacked. I could hear my father praying and asking La Virgin de Guadalupe for protection and to send this thing away. I managed to tell my father that we needed to get into the car as quickly as possible so we could be safe. I pressed the button to the remote and the horn chirped as the alarm was deactivated and the doors unlocked. At the sound of the horn chirping this thing opened its wings and stood up on the fence post and chirped back at us. It took off and hovered for a few seconds, its wings flapping and making a light whoosh sound. My father and I dove into the relative safety of the car as this thing flew away and was gone from our sight this thing was maybe 3 to 4 feet tall and thin but its wings were large and maybe 10 feet when spread apart. They looked a lot like bat wings, no feathers were visible as it was jet black. We drove straight home and my father told my mother and my sister about our encounter with this thing and what had happened. My mother said it was probably a bruja disguised as a lechusa and that we were lucky we were not attacked, either way, she refused to let anyone out of the house for the rest of the night. That sound brought one of my brothers into the house to alert the rest of the family to come hear this. We went outside and stood in the driveway, and heard the most frightening guttural roar you can imagine. This accompanied the pounding on the wood object. This lasted several minutes. The evening was clear, warm, and without wind. I do not remember a moon. 
Neither brother could explain what was happening and I recall being scared out of my wits. When the sounds subsided, the family returned inside. The incident was not discussed in front of me again. As a child, I was privileged to live in this remote beautiful area and be allowed to run free. Sometime later, a boyfriend and I observed what we were told must have been a bear in a thicket of alder trees near the house. The feces found there later contained crawdad shells and berry seeds, with a horrible odor. But the creature we saw was not a bear. The hard dry ground showed no tracks. Our fathers were loggers and we were well versed in the local wildlife. While this all happened a very long time ago, I still get cold chills remembering those sounds. Years later, my fiancé and I were driving north on Oregon Highway 101 near Cape Perpetua, north of Florence, Oregon. The highway was narrow, two-lane, with the Pacific Ocean on the west and steep rock cliffs on the east. I was watching the moon over the ocean, turned sidewise, facing the ocean. A very large black creature rose from a cleft in the cliff and towered over the little car we were in. My fiancé yelled, what the hell was that? I only caught a glimpse of the thing through my peripheral vision, but it was huge and very fast. I suppose we surprised it as much as it surprised us. It terrified me. My fiancé searched for a place to turn around as he wanted to go back, and I refused to let him. We were armed with what suddenly seemed to be a very small weapon, considering the size of the creature. When we returned home, my fiancé told his father about the encounter. His father told us of the rancher at the foot of the Capes, also on Highway 101, who had been riding to check on his cattle when he heard a cow bellowing in agony. His horse became nervous but he forced it on and found a very large hairy animal chewing on the live cow. He carried a 30.06 rifle and shot the creature. It stood up and ran off on two legs. He followed until he lost the trail of blood in the rocky terrain. This is the first time I have ever heard of someone shooting and wounding one of these creatures. It is also the first time I've heard of this creature eating the meat of any animal. Our encounter was in the late evening with clear skies and a full moon. My fiancé saw the creature in the headlights and had a great view of it. He knew it was not a bear and didn't think it was a human in a fursuit. Facial features did not have a snout and the arms were too long for a bear's front legs. I was too terrified to grasp any features. I have never felt fear like that before or since. This national park is located at the tip of Door County, Wisconsin on Lake Michigan. It's a difficult place to get to. To get to the island you have to take a car ferry from Ellison Bay to Washington Island, drive across Washington Island to Jackson Harbor, then take a pedestrian-only ferry to Rock Island. No vehicles or bikes are allowed on Rock Island. Even though the island is relatively small at about 975 acres, it has had an interesting history. In the early 1600s it was inhabited by a tribe of Potawatomi Native Americans as well as a small fishing village of European settlers. The two groups did not trust each other, and did have a few bad encounters that almost led to violence, but for the most part they lived peacefully together on the island. By the 1640s the Potawatomi had migrated to other parts of Wisconsin. Shortly after the Potawatomi had left the island, 
Some settlers from the fishing village reported seeing a new group of people on the island. They seemed to be more white settlers, but they wore strange clothes and kept to themselves. No one from the fishing village was ever able to talk to one of these new settlers, or even find where they were living. It was around this time that strange things started to happen in the village. Several animals, it's not mentioned what they were, maybe it was pigs or chickens kept by the settlers were found slaughtered in the village and seemed to have been used to make markings in blood on some of the buildings in the village. On a different night a building used for preserving meat burned down. The villagers felt that these things must have been done by these new people on the island, and they intended to find them, but after a thorough search of the island, including the wooded inland area, they never found a single person. These strange occurrences seemed to stop soon after the search and none of the other settlers were ever seen again. In 1836 the Potawatomi Lighthouse was built on the northern part of the island. After construction was finished, the lighthouse was inspected and it was reported back that the material of which the lighthouse and dwelling are made, are of the best quality and that the work is done in a substantive and workmanlike manner. David E. Corbin was appointed the first keeper of the light on December 19, 1837. Only three years later in 1840, despite the apparent quality of construction of the lighthouse, David Corbin started to complain that plaster started to fall off the building and some sort of liquid would ooze through cracks leaving the house constantly damp. Corbin was completely alone most of the time at the lighthouse and some have said when visiting him that he would stare at a certain wall and sometimes spoke vaguely of the other visitors. In 1845, after eight years of relative solitude at the lighthouse, an inspector visited the lighthouse keeper and determined that while Corbin was fulfilling his duties, he was acting strange. The official report says that the inspector ordered Corbin to take a 25-day leave of absence to find a wife to live with him at the lighthouse. However, some think that the inspector was startled by Corbin's mental state caused by years of solitude and thought it would be best that he spent some time away from the island. In 1852 Corbin reportedly fell ill and died that December in the lighthouse. He was buried in a small cemetery just south of the lighthouse. The next lighthouse keeper also reported the surprisingly quick deterioration of the lighthouse. Some friends that had visited the new keeper say that he would talk of seeing strange things in the house at night, but he wouldn't elaborate on what he had seen. In 1858, after only 22 years of service, the original lighthouse was torn down and a new one was built. From that point on, the lighthouse keepers were required to have an assistant keeper, or a family with them at the lighthouse. No strange occurrences were further reported in the lighthouse logbook outside of strong storms and occasional shipwrecks except on January 20, 1876. The keeper at the time named Betts reported that he saw two men attempting to row to the mainland from Washington Island. He wrote a terrible storm came up shortly after their departure and they never made it to their destination. Over three months later on May 3, 1876 Betts wrote the two men who were lost last January have been seen several times. Once from Caney Lighthouse and once from Jacksonport. The men were apparently frozen stiff and sitting upright in the boat among a mass of ice. At last account they were still adrift. There is not much hope that they will be found and buried. By 1900 most of the island's inhabitants left for better fishing areas on Lake Michigan. 
In 1910 a successful business owner and inventor, Chester Thordarson purchased all of the island except for the land that the lighthouse occupied in the north. He used the island as a private summer retreat from his business in Chicago. Thordarson is responsible for the unique and mystifying buildings and structures that are still on the island today. On the south end of the island he built a giant stone hall that has a boathouse on the lower level. A stone water tower was built on the east side of the island, and an imposing wooden gate was constructed on the west end of the island. The Great Hall was used to store Thordarson's immense book collection. He had over 11,000 books and it's rumored that he possessed some very rare books on the occult in his collection. Thordarson died of heart failure, on January 6, 1945, though some have speculated that he saw something that actually scared him to death. I couldn't find any writings from Thordarson however that mentioned him experiencing anything strange on the island. After his death multiple churches and universities were interested in his book collection, but he had willed it to the University of Wisconsin-Madison providing that they had to purchase it for $300,000, which they did. Some of this history is hard to find on the internet, but there are a couple binders in the Great Hall that has a lot of this documented. Thordarson's personal papers are housed in the archive section of the State Historical Society of Wisconsin. All of this history I gave is just to provide a little context for experiences I have had, directly or indirectly, on Rock Island. In August of 2021 I took my first, and last, trip to Rock Island. After taking two ferry rides, I arrived on the island at about 2 p.m. I had booked the remote campsite E which is a backpacking site that is a little over a mile from the dock. I took my time hiking out to the site to enjoy the scenery and took a couple breaks just due to how heavy my pack was. I was definitely packed more for camping than hiking. I got to my site, set up my tent, got everything situated, and started gathering sticks and driftwood from the beach so I could start a fire. On my third trip back Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. From the beach, before I got back to my site, I heard a single high-pitched squeal noise coming from the forest. It didn't sound close, but it was such an unusual sound that I stopped in my tracks and waited for a good 30 seconds waiting to see if it would happen again. It didn't, so I continued back to my site. When I got back, I began working on getting a fire started. The remote camping sites on Rock Island are pretty well spaced out. Sites C, D, and D are grouped together, but there's probably 100 yards between each site. There's not a real trail connecting the three sites directly, but enough people have walked along the ridge between the three sites that there's an obvious path. As I was setting some sticks up in my fire ring, something caught my eye and I looked up. Fairly far away, it looked like it might have been at site D or a little further, was a person running in my direction. My first thought was well that's odd, 
because like I said it's not even really a trail they were on, then my mind just went to there must be something wrong and this person needs help. They got a little closer and it looked like maybe it was a woman in loose grey clothes, maybe in a hoodie. It was still far enough away that I couldn't really make out any details. I quickly stood up from the crouching position I was in and just as I did I heard that high-pitched squeal noise again. It was behind me, and it was much closer this time. This startled me quite a bit so I turned around to look behind me. I scanned the trees for a couple seconds, but didn't see or hear anything. I turned back around because I knew the running person must be getting close, but now they were gone. Again I stood there and scanned the trees, but did not see them anywhere. I was so confused I was kind of frozen for a few seconds. It was all very strange, but I was able to reason it out in my head that it was just a fellow camper from Site C or D that was maybe running to the pit toilet that was a couple hundred yards west of the sites. I tried to forget about it, but it was really just bothering me. I did not like whatever that squeal noise was, and I just felt strange. With some effort I decided to let it go and started my fire. I had a quick meal and a couple adult beverages then decided to take a little walk. I hadn't seen sites C or D yet so I thought I would check those out and see if I did have some neighbors camping nearby. Site D was empty. I did see the path that led from that site to the main trail and pit toilet so that made me feel a little less uneasy about the runner. I figured it was maybe someone from Site C that took a strange way to get to the main trail by going through Site D. It didn't make a ton of sense because I probably still should have seen them, but it made me feel better. I continued on to Site C and saw there was a tent set up. I really didn't want to bother anyone, but I just thought I would go over with the excuse that I would introduce myself as a camping neighbor from Site E, and see if anyone looked like they might have been the person running earlier. I came up on the site and there was a couple sitting at the picnic table. Neither of them looked like they would have been the person I saw running. I introduced myself, and they introduced themselves. They were probably in their mid-thirties, they were very nice, and both seemed to be pretty drunk, but a quiet drunk. I didn't ask about the runner, or the squealing noises because I thought it might be weird. I wished them a good night and walked back to my tent. When I got back I had a cigar and a few more drinks. It got dark and it started as a perfect night. The sky was clear and I was just staring up and looking at millions of stars. I felt better about everything from earlier and felt stupid about the whole thing and decided to get some sleep. It was a long day so I fell asleep almost immediately. At around 2.30 am I woke up by a huge boom of thunder. It started downpouring. The wind picked up and the temperature dropped. I love camping in the rain, but I do not like camping in a lightning storm. A pretty big storm came through and I was starting to worry. The wind was whipping at my tent and the ground was shaking from the thunder and lightning. I did not feel good about being out there in a tent and felt very exposed. The storm lasted for about an hour before it became just a light steady drizzle. I was just starting to fall back asleep when I heard the squeal noise again. I opened my eyes up wide in the dark and just laid there silent. There was another louder squeal noise and it was pretty close. I knew there are no real dangerous animals on Rock Island. There are deer and porcupines, but nothing like bear or wolves. Knowing that still didn't make me feel better though. 
There was just something about that squeal that I didn't like. I say squeal because that's the best I can describe it. It sounded to me like a pig squeal. I honestly don't know that much about pig noises, but that's what I thought of when I heard it. An injured, or angry pig squeal. I continued to lay in my tent and started to hear footsteps outside my tent. It was still raining so the sounds were a little buried in the sound of rain, but it definitely sounded like a somewhat large animal or human walking around. I sat up in my tent and took a knife I had out just to feel better. In my head I just kept saying you know it's just an animal. It's fine. There's nothing in these woods that can hurt you. I listened as the footsteps started moving away from my tent. I just sat there being still holding my knife for maybe 10 minutes without hearing anything else. I started thinking to myself it's fine. It was just an animal. You're being stupid, and you need to get some sleep. I was just about to lay back down when there was a very loud squeal and it was right outside my tent. It felt like my heart just stopped and a shiver went down my spine. My heart was beating so hard my entire body was pulsing, and I felt it in my ears. It took everything in me but I forced out to get out of here. Not shouting, but as stern and mean sounding as I could at that moment. I didn't hear any more squeals or footsteps that night, but I also didn't sleep. I just sat there in my tent for maybe an hour before I laid down. Eventually the rain stopped and I kept laying there until the sun came up. All that time reassuring myself that I was being stupid. It was just an animal. It was probably 7 am before I decided I had to get out of my tent to relieve myself. As soon as I stepped outside my tent I saw that my picnic table had been turned over and was upside down. When I saw this I surprisingly calmly thought okay, this is enough, I'm leaving the island today. I checked my surroundings and nothing else seemed out of place. I eventually reasoned with myself that the wind had blown the table over during the storm. It still seemed a little strange because the table was pretty heavy and I felt like I would have heard the table flipping over, but that might have made sense. I made some cold instant coffee, had a bite to eat, started to feel better about the whole thing, then decided to go for a hike. I admit, I get easily scared when I'm camping by myself in the woods. Maybe that's natural. After I had some coffee and food, and the sun came out, I realized that nothing I heard or saw was really anything that couldn't be explained. Other than not getting a good night's sleep, I was having a pretty good time. The reason I came to the island in the first place was to hike the 7 mile Thordarsons loop trail that has a lot of interesting things to see, and I was excited to start the hike. I packed a few things in my backpack and started off. Fairly close to my site is the water tower. I have no idea how it originally worked, or why it had to be a tower, but it's an impressive building with a fireplace that looked like someone had recently had a fire in it. A little or further down the trail was a cemetery where two sisters and a few others are buried. It's believed there are still more buried here in unmarked graves. These likely are some of the settlers from the old fishing village. The island has three cemeteries. There is one by the beach and that's where Chester Thordarson is buried, there's one on the eastern part of the island where the two sisters are buried, and there's one on the northern part of the island where the original lighthouse keeper David E. Corbin is buried. There is also at least one Potawatomi burial area on the island, but no one knows exactly where that is. 
I kept walking on the trail until I came to a nice scenic overlook area with a bench where I sat down and drank some water. I started to hear some talking on the trail ahead of me, but I couldn't see anyone yet. There was a bend in the trail and the trees were thick so I sat on the bench waiting for these people to come around the bend. The voices were coming closer and I could tell that they weren't speaking English, but I couldn't place what language it might have been. Both voices were very, very deep and guttural. Then back deep in the woods I hear a loud and quick you you Immediately both the voices I was listening to responded with their own oo I kind of smiled because it sounded like these two heard whatever it was in the woods and they were trying to be funny and mock it by responding. I got off the bench, put my backpack back on and started walking in the direction further down the trail where the voices were coming from, but I never did find these people. The rest of the hike went very well. I visited the cemetery where David E. Corbin is buried. I took a self-guided tour of the Potawatomi Lighthouse. I passed the wooden gate that apparently used to be part of a larger structure. I walked by the Great Hall and Dock area from where I arrived on the island. Visited some of the other structures on the island. Came across the cemetery where Chester Thor Darson is buried. Then finished the loop by returning to my campsite. It was a very nice hike with a lot to see and wasn't especially difficult, but I was tired. I did walk down to campsite C to ask the couple I spoke with the night before how they did with the storm during the night, but they had packed up and left. I was disappointed because I also really wanted to ask them about the squealing noises during the night. The rest of the evening was pretty uneventful. I built a fire, made some meals, had a cigar and some drinks. As soon as it got dark I was ready for bed since I had so little sleep the night before. I got in my tent and quickly fell asleep. I might have been asleep for about 3 hours when I woke up suddenly and was immediately fully alert. Nothing that I was aware of caused me to wake up, but I felt something was wrong. I sat up in my tent, and this part is a little hard to explain. A feeling of complete dread washed over me. It was unlike anything I had ever felt before. It felt like there was something in the tent with me, and I could feel that it was angry, seething with anger, rageful even, and I could feel its hatred for me. It felt like something very bad was about to happen, and I couldn't do anything about it. I started to shiver uncontrollably. There was a smell of garbage or rotten meat, and it got stronger and stronger to the point where I wanted to throw up, but couldn't because I was frozen. I had never felt so exposed and helpless. I stared forward at nothing, just frozen, and the weird thing is I accepted whatever was about to happen to me. It was like my brain telling me that whatever is about to happen, even if it's death, will at least be relief. Then I passed out. At least I have to assume I passed out. That's all I remember until I woke up at about 8am that morning. When I woke up I was laying outside of my sleeping bag, on top of it, and my legs were in an unnatural and uncomfortable position. I was on my back with my left leg straight out, and my right leg was bent so that my foot was up against my left knee. My heart started pounding but I kept thinking to myself it was a dream. I'm leaving right now. It was a dream. I'm leaving right now. I packed up everything very quickly and started back toward the dock to catch the first boat off the island. Since the first boat from Washington Island doesn't arrive until about 10.30 am, 
I had to kill a little time around the Great Hall and Dock area. I wanted to get off that island so bad, but I did feel a little better just being out of the woods and I could see other people. I sat down on a bench a little to the east of the dock and lit a cigar just to give me something to do while trying not to think about the night before. I was sitting a few minutes and scanning out over the water when I was startled by someone behind me saying hi. I jumped and was embarrassed when the person came around saying sorry, sorry. I didn't mean to scare you. I saw you smoking and just came over to ask if you had a lighter. I felt like an idiot and told him that's fine. I just didn't sleep well last night and was kind of zoned out, and I handed him my lighter. He thanked me, lit a cigarette, then handed the lighter back to me. We started talking about the usual things you might talk about. He said he was from the Madison area. We talked about the storms we've been having. He seemed to be a real outdoorsy kind of guy, and talked about his plans to move to Washington Island. It was a nice normal conversation and kind of took my mind off the night I just had for a little bit. He seemed like a pretty nice guy. Then, naturally, he asked me what site I had been staying at. I told him I was staying at site E the last two nights, and he said he usually books that site, but I must have reserved it before him. He said he had booked site D the last two nights. I was surprised by this because no tent or anything was at site D the two times I walked past the site. I told him this and he said he comes to the island a few times a year and you have to book a site, but he actually camps at different areas on the island. I asked him where he camps and he told me most of the time he camps in the East Cemetery, but he also likes to camp in the woods south of the lighthouse. He told me that he hikes about halfway down the Fernwood Trail and just heads north into the woods where he finds a place to camp. He said that one time he found the ruins of a small log house in those woods and he's going to try and find it again and camp inside of it. At this point I started to change my opinion about this guy and wanted to change the subject, but then he asked me if I had heard the screeches in the woods. I took a second to reply and knew he was talking about the squealing I had heard. I told him I had, and asked him if he knew what it was. This time he took a second to reply and I saw his face change. He looked as if he was thinking if he should tell me something. Like a secret. With no expression at all on his face he said matter of factly a demon lives on this island. Under any other circumstance I would have laughed this off, but not after what I experienced the night before. He looked at me and must have seen the anxiety and fear I was feeling. He surprised me by letting out a quick laugh. He asked me if I saw anything that night. I told him I hadn't seen anything and he stared at me like he was trying to figure something out. I felt like he could tell I had experienced something. At this point I was ready for the conversation to be over. Then he told me he had seen something in the cemetery that night. Now his face and mood kind of changed again like he was trying to confide in me. I really did not want to ask the question but I knew he wanted me to ask it. So I asked him what he saw in the cemetery, but my voice was shaky. Then I could tell he had changed his mind about telling me. He actually looked at me with empathy and told me that what he saw was hard to explain, but if I was afraid of the screeching noises he didn't think I should go near the cemetery. I didn't say anything right away, but he said four words without any context. Keepers, of, the, flame. I looked at my cigar and the ash was long. I put it out, 
and told him I was going to wait by the dock for the boat. He nodded and I started to walk away. After a few steps he said hey, and I turned around to look at him. He just said don't come back here. I turned around and started walking again. I don't know if that was a warning, or a friendly suggestion, but I took it to heart. I was definitely not coming back to Rock Island. When I got home I looked up Keepers of the Flame as it pertained to Rock Island. I found three things that he could have been referring to. The name of the Native Americans that lived on the island, the Potawatomi, could be translated to Keepers of the Flame. The lighthouse keepers on the island were sometimes referred to as the Keepers of the Flame. Then there was also a 19th century cult that was said to visit the island from time to time that called themselves the Keepers of the Flame. I know that hundreds of people visit Rock Island every year and have a great time camping, hiking the trails and exploring Chester Thordarson's buildings. My humble suggestion is this. Do not go to Rock Island. I have debated posting this because I don't know if it's classified as paranormal or just a weird event. This event happened around November 2022 and it was 8 p.m. I was by myself at the entrance area of the school. My dad and I go to evening slash night school. I'm studying computer science and my dad studies mechanical engineering. At that time I had the three first periods free because my teacher was sick and I was hanging out at my dad's class when I saw that the break was coming up after it I had class and because of the distance I decided to cross the campus so I won't be late to class, the break was 10 minutes and it took 8 minutes to cross the campus at a normal pace but due to my osteoarthritis sometimes my legs are heavy and my walking is slow. That day was a day that my legs were heavy and my osteoarthritis was flaring up and my pace was very slow. So, at 8pm I was waiting for the bell to ring signaling the first break, and I was sipping my hot chocolate from my thermos after having gone to the school cafeteria to get some ice cubes to put in because it was too hot. I was about to start scrolling through my phone since I was by myself and I felt very on edge. I was coming down from a week-long anxiety attack, I'm thinking it was because of that I felt on edge. To my left, there's this entrance door that leads to the second school on campus, my old high school, and where I was about a few minutes ago since my dad's class is located in the basement of that building. Outside that building, there is a lamp post and I turned to see it, a second after my eyes set on it I noticed it was flickering. I thought nothing of it thinking that it must be bugs flying around it or because of what is happening with the energy crisis our town is lowering the voltages causing that flickering as they did during COVID-19 lockdowns. Hence why I don't think it's paranormal but what makes me post this here is how the flickering and the black that appeared in between it started becoming bigger and bigger every time. Three times flickered and the third time the black spot was very big. Then there was an oomph sound from everywhere and nowhere at the same time before almost the entire campus was dived into darkness. Everything was dark except the classes, I could see the lights from the space under the door. The darkness lasted for maybe two or three minutes, I jumped up and walked as fast as my legs would allow to the cafeteria to ask the lady behind the counter and the cleaner that was with her chatting if they were okay. To get to them from where I was it would take me a minute tops but when I entered the cafeteria the lights came back on and when I asked they said there was no power outage. 
Confused I walked back to the bench I was sitting at and everything was normal, the bell went off and a break ensued. But in the minutes of darkness, it was completely silent and I felt dread and on edge even a bit of fear. I'm used to power outages from living on an island growing up that had many times run out of power throughout the winter so I always carry a flashlight with me and I make sure my phones always have flashlights. What was that darkness? Why was I the only one to live through it? I asked my dad and he said there was no power outage, same answers from fellow classmates and my mum when I asked them. Any theories? Hey all, I have worked overnight at a nursing home for about 3 years now. During my time here we've probably had 60 plus people pass. I've noticed that sometimes when certain strong-willed people pass, there is some sort of electrical disturbance that happens. I used to think it was just a coincidence, but it has happened like 8 plus times since I've been working overnight. It can last up to 2 weeks after someone passes. Some examples. One lady passed at around 9 p.m. There is a door that leads outside two doors down from her room. The door is always locked and requires a number combo to unlock. The door's silent alarm tripped at 11.30 p.m. The door alarms only go off if someone opens it. After 10 it's just overnight crew and we stick together. We checked it out and there was no one there. It happened two more times a few days apart. A man passed near the front of the building. The silent alarm for the front door went off every night at around 2 a.m. It happened for about a week and then it stopped. One lady passed at 12. We were watching TV and all of a sudden it felt like a shock wave passed through the building. The lights in the TV area flickered off and on for a quick second, the TV turned off and turned back on. I joked that maybe that lady had passed. We checked on her and she had just passed, her body was still warm. Her neighbor's TV had also turned on and was on a static channel. Each room has a button on the wall that sends an alarm to the caregivers. We have had those go off multiple times in rooms where people have recently passed. Always freaks us out when it happens. To this day I haven't seen anything but too many electrical disturbances happen close to someone's passing for it to be a coincidence. Has anyone else experienced any stuff like this? I've always wondered what exactly it was that I saw. Some may call it ball lightning, but I think that classification really takes away from the phenomenon at hand, this thing knew what it was doing. One late summer night, I think this was back in 2001, my friend was staying the night at my house and we went out for a walk. He was 14 and I was 16. At the time, I lived on the family farm in rural southern Maryland. There was a large, relatively circular path that circumscribed the westernmost parcel of land that connected the four homes on the property. Most of the path was laden with large gravel rocks, but the northern quadrant of this path was an old paved driveway that ran from my mobile home, past the barn, and to the rural country road that marked the western edge of the farm. The path from my home to the road was about 500 feet, I'm guessing. I'm sure that's all very confusing but I'm just trying to paint a picture. I'll post a link to some aerial photos below to illustrate what I'm describing. Anyway, back then, I'd usually walk our beagles around the farm at night, 
at my mother's request, so I had no fears of wandering around at night. When my friend came over, it was fun to break up our red faction kill stakes with strolls around the farm. It was very dark out in the country, and with all of the open space the night sky was a canopy of stars. Couple that with the warm summer air, and nighttime excursions were irresistible. Again, anyway, we headed out. My terrier, Mitzi, followed along with us. She was always at my heels and didn't need a leash like the beagles did. My friend and I started walking along the paved driveway and had intended to complete the circular path in a counterclockwise direction. We made it nearly to the road, just passing my great-uncle's, he owned the farm, house on our right, with my great-aunt's house to our left. The path shot off to the left along my aunt's dirt driveway and would have connected to the gravel path further along, but something caught my eye. Another one of my great-aunts lived across the country road, directly adjacent from my uncle's house, the photos will help, but her house wasn't on farm property, though there was an open field on her side of the road. Behind her house was a wall of trees, and the deep woods beyond. The woods were everywhere out there, but my farm was mostly open land. Back to, something caught my eye. What I saw was a light coming out from the woods behind my aunt's house. The road was quiet, everything was quiet. I watched this light come closer, and I don't know why the first thing I thought it could be was a white rabbit, but I was trying to make sense of something that was about to get stranger. As the light crossed the road and approached closer, I could see that it was a floating ball of light, about the size of a basketball, floating about three feet off the ground. I'm not sure when I nudged my friend to get his attention, but we were both watching as the light avoided and maneuvered around the few tall pine trees my uncle had in his front yard. One thing I noticed about the light was that it was bright and white, but it didn't seem to cast any light on its surroundings. I don't remember if one of us moved or said something, but the light noticed us and stopped. It sat still for a few seconds, and so did we. We just watched it, and we were about 30 feet from it. Eventually, my dog noticed it too, as she was sniffing around somewhere else up until then. She started yapping and ran right at the sphere of light. At that point, the light sped off, very fast, back in the direction it had come from right back into the woods with my dog trailing behind. Mitzi was a fast dog, but she couldn't keep up. We watched her follow it into the woods, though. My friend and I just looked at each other, probably said a few expletives, and ran back to my house and into my room. My dog lost her quarry, as she was back on our heels by the time we reached my yard. The experience was more bewildering than scary but the adrenaline rush of seeing something like that had us wired, and I kinda wanted to be scared, so we were just staring out my window, which faced the end of the driveway, for the rest of the night. I'm still not sure what it was, but that ball of light exhibited an intelligence, an active awareness of its surroundings, and perhaps fear, which prompted it to flee. I went to a friend's house in the Bridgeport area of Harrison County, West Virginia to sight in my new rifle. He began to tell me a story of a strange animal that was killed on this farm by the man who owned it before his death. The farmer was a coon hunter and went out almost every night. One night the farmer's dogs got on a scent and took off. 
They ran for about an hour and stopped at the base of a tree as usual. The farmer made his way up the hill to the tree to shoot the coon the dogs had cornered. There was nothing there though. Thinking this was very strange he started to look around when he noticed a tree with its limbs shaking. Something was jumping from tree to tree to keep from being seen. The farmer finding this very strange went and told my friend what had happened and dismissed it altogether. About a week later the supposed creature did the same trick. This made the old man suspicious because his dogs were very well trained and had never let him down before. This happened for about a month when one night the dogs treat an animal and the farmer got there quickly and shot it. To his surprise, it was no coon. It had long grayish, brown hair and was about 5 feet tall. Its hands were human-like and its feet were more hand-like than anything. I told my friend he was crazy so he decided to prove it to me. He told me the old man kept the animal but did not have it mounted cause he was afraid he had done something wrong. My friend took me to the old barn and there it was. The old man had nailed its carcass to the wall. I was shocked. It was built a lot like a human and had hair 6 or 7 inches long on it. It had very large sharp teeth and resembled some kind of ape looking creature. I told my friend I wouldn't say anything about it but I feel that it is my duty to report this. If anyone has any idea what this animal could be please let me know.